This is the Honest CEO Show, hosted by the Honest CEO, Caroline Kennedy. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and motivated by the honest stories from passionate, extraordinary business people who share their ups and downs and their learnings on the journey to building success in business. Welcome, and today my guest is Cyan Taid. She's co-founder and executive director of Invato. Founded in 2006 in Cyan's parents' garage, Invato is a creative ecosystem encompassing the largest digital marketplace in the world. Its 6 million members buy and sell digital stock and services, and Invato has delivered over $400 million of earnings to their community of creatives so far. Diane is 2015 Telstra Victorian Businesswoman of the Year and Invato was awarded Job Advisor's Coolest Company for Women in 2015. She is also the founder of New Day Box, an initiative that mobilises the community to make boxes of skincare and cosmetics for women in domestic violence crisis accommodation. Last year, New Day Box distributed over 2,500 boxes to women around Victoria. Diane began her career as a graphic designer and is driven by empowering fellow creative professionals to build a sustainable living doing what they love. She is also deeply passionate about supporting women in technology and at work and is a popular speaker and communicator in this space. So congratulations, Cyan, on building a highly successful business and your amazing achievements to date. Well, thanks, Caroline. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Now, tell us about Envato and how it all began. So Invato really started um, out of, uh, you know, quite humble beginnings. We um, we were selling stock. My husband and I were selling um, some photographs and some flash um, online. And uh, we realised there were so many things that uh, we would like to be buying and selling to um to you know people all over the world which really um weren't available at that point you couldn't really get them especially you know you couldn't get them all in one place and um and so we decided to um to start something ourselves and we were quite naive we thought oh yeah something like this will take a few weeks to build and <laughs> um and it will uh, it'll you know cost a few thousand dollars and of course it really didn't work out that way and fast forward 6 months and um we were uh you know busily trying to um to do freelance design work to pay the bills um while at night and on the weekends working on the business we were living in my parents basement we'd maxed out our credit cards and um and we'd borrow money from my husband's parents all just to keep afloat so um so when we finally launched we really really need to needed to hustle to make it work um but um but from there it turns out that luckily it was actually what the market was looking for at that time and um and it and it started to grow and uh 10 years later here we are yeah certainly built a lot of momentum and i think (laughs) It's also fortunate that you were naive because had you not been, you probably wouldn't have started. Yes, I have to say um, one of my um, mentors once said to me, uh, you know, your greatest asset was your naivety because I think if you'd had any idea how difficult what you're about to, um, what you were about to undertake would be, there's no way you would have done it. But, um, but, uh, you know, 
obviously in hindsight you go wow that was that was quite a big journey and there were many many times when we were um learning as fast as we could to keep up but uh but i i had no idea that it would grow to the to the size that it would grow when we first started it well that all comes down to i think solving a problem and when you identify that there's a gap in the market and that you can actually provide a solution to it then generally that's where businesses gain momentum. So you tapped into it ex- at exactly the right time. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Now I understand that when you first launched the business, you went travelling because you'd set it up to work from any, anywhere. Tell us about that. Well, I think one of the one of the things that sort of drove me to um to sort of decide to start this business was um I thought oh well it'll it'll be a supplemental income and we can um work while we travel. I hadn't done any travelling up until that point. Um well no extensive travelling. I'd gone to um I'd gone here and there with my parents a couple of times, but not really much travelling as an adult. And um and I had a graphic and web design business at that point and Back then, clients really liked to see you. Um, they liked to sort of, you know, you to go into their offices and to, you know, spend some time together. So it wouldn't have worked for us to um, to, to travel while doing that sort of that client work. So really, Invato was a means to sort of say, all right, we can earn some supplemental income while we travel. Obviously, um, you know, once we launched the business and we were fully engaged in it, we realised, wow, okay, you know, in order for this to sort of to make the most of um, of this as a growing business, we need to keep working. Um, we need to keep working on it full time. Um, so at that point, we decided, all right, well, as soon as it's profitable, we'll um, we'll pack up everything and uh, and we'll we'll go and sort of work on it from overseas for a while, which is what we did. So about uh, eighteen months in. We um, sold everything we owned in a garage sale, and um, on the on the front sort of on the front garden of our of our apartment building, and uh, and packed up two suitcases with you know the laptops and the you know a few bits and pieces, and off we went. And um, we took a plane to Hong Kong, and we had one week's accommodation, and then um, and then we just sort of you know found somewhere to live and took it from there, and uh, we ended up spending the next eighteen months uh, living and working. Um, around the world, we um, we spent some time in Europe. We spent some time in the US, Canada, um, and uh, and a couple of places in Asia, and uh, and obviously had an absolutely fantastic time. Um, and um, but towards the end, we were you know working really long hours, and and you know you're in Paris in the winter time, and you're thinking, great, this is um, you know we're 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 really we're working you know 50 hour weeks here, and while it's nice to go out at eight o'clock at night and get something to eat in Paris, potentially you know the We'd, we'd hired team members back in Melbourne and um, we thought, well, maybe it might be good to go back there and actually meet some of these people. So, um, and, and at that point, sort of, I think the most exciting thing was to, was to see where this business might, might take us. So, um, so we, went, we went back and we settled down in Melbourne. And I think too, you know, that's such a great story about y- your purpose was, okay, let's see if we can do, you know, uh, facilitate a business remotely then you go to have these great experiences realize that the business is starting to grow but it's like you can have your cake and eat it a little bit and then you've you've done the traveling you've got to have these wonderful experiences and you come home and then you focus on you know I suppose growing the business significantly from there don't you so it's, mm. it's a really nice story I love it so good <laughs> 
Now, you're a big advocate for workplace flexibility, job sharing and diversity. Uh, they, mm-hmm. all, they all form part of your company values. Mm-hmm. How do you ensure these values are lived by the team at Envato? I think it's a process of education. I think um, so. I think when we first started, it was really just um, getting the team to think about these things. And I think when you talk to almost anybody about flexibility and you frame it as this is a people issue, this is not a working mother's issue. Yeah. This is a, you know, people issue. Um, Abby in HR is a um, national level lacrosse player. Um, she needs to, you know, go around Australia and around the world at certain times playing lacrosse. You know, I want to give Abby flexibility because she's fantastic at her job and she shouldn't she shouldn't have to choose. Um, you know, and, you know, for those people who are parents, men and women, I, you know, I personally, I want to be there at the Kinder Mother's Day, you know, celebration. Um and and I don't I I don't feel that it's right for for parents you know male or female to have to to choose between those things. I feel like you know people should have flexibility. And I think once you start, you know, um, framing those conversations around what people need as opposed to what working mothers need, then then suddenly um, it really shifts an organisation because you know when it comes down to it, everybody needs flexibility. Um, everybody wants to live a life with balance where they can, you know, do their best work and also pursue things outside of work. Um, and everybody benefits when we have an organisation which embraces that. It takes a, um, it takes a sort of a, a different level of management, um, of management skill. Um, it takes managers who are, you know, focusing on results and, um, and, and setting really concrete goals and really sort of um, uh, focusing in on performance. Um, but, you know, I think, um, I think great, you know, if, if you want to be a manager, then, then it's really important that you're, um, that you have really high standards for how you sort of support and interact with your teams anyway. So it's been a sort of a learning process for us as an organization to figure out what is needed in order to facilitate, um, those sort of those values and how we work. But now it also means that the people that we get coming to sort of applying for jobs at Envato, the people who are staying at Envato, are really engaged in um, in our sort of our efforts and our, and our philosophy around diversity and flexibility. You know, as you were talking there, I was thinking a lot about, you know, your position on this and, and how you've approached it. And you talked about management. And I think you know, what I'm hearing from you is very much about leadership, about those mm-hmm. key qualities that leaders have, um, about actually caring for their team members and the culture within their business and the mindset of people and their lifestyles as well and, and ensuring that they have value. And in my view, I've always believed that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I know that that's mm. a saying that's widely thrown around, but it's so true. If you get your culture right and you can offer your teams that flexibility and they buy into the mission and the vision, it just creates an environment where people prosper and they want to be involved and they want to contribute. And it sounds like that that's really what you guys have achieved. And I know it's... Um, something that it's, it's ongoing and it continues to evolve. But, mm. you know, you really are a leader in, um, in, in driving that culture and good on you. And, and, oh, thank you. And very much about the conversation about, it's, it's it, you know, 
flexibility for everybody. It's not just about working mums. That's so true. And I think we get focused on that women need flexibility, but what about, you know, for instance, I wouldn't have been able to achieve in my career without my husband's support and without us being parents together and and, and yep. that means that he needs flexibility in his work environment as well. But we're not having enough of those conversations and, you know, mm. and congratulations on making that happen in your workplace. You should be really oh, proud of you. that. Oh, thanks. Look, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I always feel like we're still trying to get it right <laughs> and it's so tricky to get it all, you know, right, really good holistic parental leave programs which sort of, ensure not only that you know we have all the policies in place but but management is really you know like the the sort of the people leaders are supporting people while they're on parental leave um trying to encourage men to take up part-time and job share and you know all those things it's sort of it's a process of getting it right and there's still a lot more that I would you know that that, that I'd like to do and a lot of times I think oh goodness we really need to to do better here so it is it is a work in um it is a work in progress i think <laughs> yeah but the fact that it's a priority for you in the workplace is the you know is the key really because you've mm. taken that step um and many more steps than a lot of other companies have uh, Oh, good. Well, I think when you're um, – luckily, I think that when you're really sort of genuinely trying to do a good job of this stuff, uh, I think, you know, your team tends to be pretty uh, forgiving of the bumps along yeah, in the journey. <laughs> <laughs> and there are many bumps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So time management is a big issue for any business owner. Mm-hmm. What tips and tricks can you share around maximising your time, particularly during business hours? I used to um, be very reactive to email, and now I try to um, I, I try to focus on doing a quick pass of my email in the morning, mm-hmm. and um, and then setting aside an hour in the afternoon to um, to really sort of make sure that I bat out. Um, as many emails as possible. Um, it sounds like a small thing, but it's made a massive difference to me. I think, and and I also used to um, um and R over emails and sort of um and and not make decisions immediately and shifting to okay, I just you know as soon as I see it, I'm responding to it and I'm setting aside the time to um you know to respond to these things properly and then it's done. Yeah. Um, that has made a big difference to me, which doesn't you know I still check my email now and then. I still sort of you know um. I still, uh, you know, need to stay across it, of course. It'd be unrealistic to say that you don't. But I think um, it's, for me at least, um, I found that I became a lot more productive when I um, when I sort of really tried to limit it and, and, and stopped seeing it as something that was controlling me but rather something that I was... Um, in control um, that, of. That, yes, in control <laughs> of at key times during my day um, and going in hand in hand, that was clearing out, trying to clear out some time in my schedule to really do um, to really do some thinking, some, some strategic thinking about, you know, how I was prioritising, what were not the most pressing things but the most important things for me to be focusing on, how I could progress towards the big goals, um, having a couple of, you know, blocks of time during the week, preferably in the morning, where um, where I could focus in on that um, has been, you know, really, um, really essential to my productivity. I think otherwise, you know, if you're, you know, anybody in business, it's very easy to feel reactive. You're being yeah. pulled in so many different react, different directions, yeah. and it means that sometimes the big strategic 
pieces, the big sort of, you know, um, the things that are really going to shift the dial get lost. Yeah. So making time for those I found um, is extremely important. And I, and I have to say up until I wasn't doing enough of that this year, the sort of the um, – the Telstra, um, the Telstra win and then sort of all the sort of opportunities that came from that, which were absolutely amazing, meant that I got quite reactive for a while there. So just in the last couple of months, regaining control of that has been um, really a big positive again. And I realised, oh, wow, I really sort of was getting quite reactive in my workflow for a while. And I think that that comes down to the awareness of it as well, because so many Mm. people don't have awareness on how reactive they are in business. And I totally agree with you. And what you've described, your strategies and your tips are exactly what I do. You know, Mm. I set aside a certain amount of time during the day for my emails. And yes, I might see them pop in, but I'm focused on the task at hand. And generally Mm. that's about, you know, how am I being strategic? How am I growing the business? What does that look like? What do we need to do? And really focused on the outcomes. Mm. And, and it, it really helps, I suppose, as well with your team when they see you lead that way as well, then they tend to pick up those um, those tricks and tips as well. It's true. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Now, what are the biggest lessons you've learnt in business? And I'm sure you've learnt many because I know we all have. <laughs> um, biggest tips I've learnt in business. Um, look, I... I guess there's a whole bunch of stuff on a personal level and there's a whole bunch of stuff on a company level. So I think, you know, the last 10 years have been the whole thing is a massive learning curve. It continues to be a massive learning curve. I've never gotten to a point where I thought, oh, yeah, I'm comfortable. I've got this now. I always feel like I'm I'm hustling and trying to learn and trying to keep up with what the needs of the business are right now. Um and um and that you know stands that that goes for everything from you know um you know finance to legal to you know to HR to leadership to you know the whole the whole deal um there are um there are inherent challenges along the way with any growing business and I and and I used to think that maybe it was just me who was uncomfortable but the more sort of um business leaders I speak to, you know, particularly sort of entrepreneurs with fast growing businesses, the more I realise, oh no, we're all pretty uncomfortable all the time and that's okay. Yeah. It's it's meant to be uncomfortable. When you're growing, it's meant to be a bit uncomfortable. And the trick of it is to get comfortable being uncomfortable and sort of back yourself. Um I think um I have also learnt that um that I you know early on I think I, I had this um, I had a very different position to failure than, than I have now. Um, I, I used to sort of really beat myself up when there was a perceived failure and I perceived myself failing pretty much constantly. Um, and now I sort of I, I try and reposition it as learnings and try and learn as much as I can out of every, you know, every sort of situation that I come across and and, and that allows me to um, to sort of push myself a little bit harder and get, get into uncomfortable situations a little bit more. Um, and most of the time the stuff that I'm beating myself up about is what other people think of me anyway and I'm um, trying to let go of that and, um, and and trying to sort of instead think, okay, well, well, how can I um, give the most value? How can I learn the most in this situation, um, you know, is, um, has, been, has been very freeing and very helpful and allowed me to sort of set my goals a lot higher. Yeah. 
I heard you once say that a truly confident and capable person isn't afraid to look stupid. And I really love that because being authentic, honest um, about the fact that we're not perfect is so important in a world where we tend to put everybody on a pedestal. Um, And it really encourages us, us to embrace the fact that there is no perfection and um, and that it's okay to to look silly occasionally. <laughs> We're just human, you know. Yes. Yeah. I don't, well, it's I, what what sort of led me to this was that I sort of um I I I suddenly realised that um that I, I I did this talk on imposter syndrome. So I was asked by a tech women's group to do a talk on imposter syndrome and um and the confidence gap. And they said, we've asked, you know, like four or five other people to do it and everyone said, no, do you think you can give this a go? And I started out by writing, you know, sort of a quite a sort of a theoretical talk about the sort of the statistics behind it and that sort of thing. And I realised, well, look, I'm not a sort of, I'm not a professional in this space. Um, I, I really, you know, I'm going off a few articles that I've read, but what I did have was personal experience. And I ended up speaking about um, about sort of my own experiences with imposter syndrome, my own experiences with the confidence gap and what I had done to try and sort of um, try and shift my thinking. Um, and afterwards I was really struck by how many women came up and said, me too. Yeah. incredibly capable women, women that I would never have imagined would sort of feel this way, sort of said, oh, goodness, I, I feel like an imposter all the time. I feel like I need to sort of, you know, not ask questions in case I look stupid constantly. And I thought, well, why aren't we all talking about this? This It freed me up such a huge amount to know that I was not the only person in the room who, you know, felt like sometimes I, you know, I wasn't getting it, who sort of who felt like I, you know, that I actually shouldn't be there, that I might be found out. Yeah. Um, so that was incredibly freeing for me. I um I love that because oh, for many years I've suffered as well with imposter syndrome and it actually held me back until I realised that and became aware that it was holding me back. I would feel... Mm-hmm especially being, um, for me, a female in um, predominantly male-dominated environments and and particularly old-school male environments, Mm. I would feel really intimidated to to speak up in case I looked stupid, even though I knew that I could really contribute to the conversation. And once I um, not let it go, because I don't think you ever let it go, you just become aware of it and think, I'm not going to let this limit me. Mm. And then I decided I would speak up and I couldn't care less if they thought I was stupid or not <laughs> because I had something to say and I really wanted to mm. take a seat at that table and own it. Um, mm. And even to this day, you know, I the imposter syndrome is about will I get found out? I'm, am I good enough? You know, but that's also what drives me to be the best that I can be and to continue to learn and develop and grow and have a bit of humility about what I do as well. Mm. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think, um, and I think what the, the funny thing is, is that, you know, me listening to you with, with all your achievements in the industry that you've been in and um, just your level of success saying that, I think, oh, goodness, that's just so, so silly that you'd feel that way. But I think we all, you know, we all in our hearts or, you know, most of the people that I know and men as well, I would argue too, you know, I've had, 
quite a few men, you know, listen to the, you know, to, to when I speak about imposter syndrome and the confidence gap and go, oh, yeah, I'm there. I get it. Um, so I don't think it's it's exclusively a gender thing, but I do think as women we do tend to sort of um, to feel it and, and, and beat ourselves up. Um, one of the things that, um, that I, uh, you know, always think to myself, which really helps me is, um, is to think, okay, my, my goal is not to look like the smartest person in this room. My goal is to be the smartest person in that room. And that frees me up to ask questions and to sort of, and, and, and to sort of be a bit more experimental and try and figure things out on the fly. Um, and, uh, and that's very helpful because otherwise, yeah, you can, uh, you can become paralyzed by trying to look like you're smart. Yeah. Yeah. I love that saying. That is so perfect. Now you founded a New Day Box in 2013, an initiative that um, mobilizes women to ma- uh, to make gifts for women in domestic violence crisis situations. So tell us about that. So that kind of happened by accident, to be quite honest, as many of the great things in life do. Um, I was seven months pregnant um, and I came across an article about a group in Canada who were delivering shoeboxes full of skincare and cosmetics to um, to women in crisis at Christmas. And um, and I, I had this sort of slightly on the whim thought of, oh, yeah, well, what if we did something like that for women in, in you know, domestic family violence crisis over Christmas? Okay, I'll write an email to a couple of organisations and see if there's any need for that. And really what I was envisaging was maybe the Envato team, you know, um, put together 30 or 40 boxes to deliver out. Yeah. And, um, and one of those organisations instead... Um, one of those organisations that I contacted instead sent my um, sent my email, forwarded my email with my phone number and my email address to basically every um, family vice, violence crisis worker in the state and said, you know, if you want a box, contact Sian. So um, I spent the next few days on the phone to um, to these women who were um, working with women in um in domestic violence crisis over um over you know over the year and um and particularly talking to me about the christmas period and about how often they would arrive with their children and the clothes on their backs um that they would be focusing on making christmas a special time for their kids and um and often there were there were always presents for the kids but there was never anything for these women and it was in fact an extremely harrowing and difficult time as you might imagine mm. um and uh and at the end of every phone call I'd say yep I, I will get you boxes and by the end of those few days I'd committed I calculated I'd committed to getting out about 500 boxes oh wow <laughs> um so I was due to have a baby on the 25th of December so um, so it wasn't the most practical plan I've ever had and um, but I just happened to sit next to four really incredible women at Envato who I think, you know, had heard many of these phone conversations and I'd been keeping them across um, what was going on. And uh, and they all had sort of quite relevant skill sets. And when I um, when I turned around to them and said, what do you think? They said, yeah, let's let's all do it together. Um, so um, that was I, I, that was a really incredible blessing because it meant that um, that I, I, there's no way I would have been able to do it by myself but because I had um I had these incredible women working alongside me um we basically just sent out a call to everybody in our network in our networks and it turns out our combined networks and those people combined networks had a had a really incredible reach because we got two and a half thousand boxes that Christmas and um we delivered them to um to women in um domestic violence crisis around Victoria 
Um, and so it, it was uh, it, it was such a sort of a successful event, and it seemed to be really um, cathartic to the women making the boxes because I think there was an immediacy to it. There yeah. was um, there was a uh, there was some you know some with something like the scourge of family violence, it's um it feels like such a massive difficult problem to solve mm-hmm. so um so impossible to address and um and I think something that allows people to say okay I'm just going to do something which might help a woman to hang on for a little while longer um I think meant a lot it meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to many of the women I think who got involved and have been involved these last three years um and some of them had experienced family violence in the past and um and we had some men get involved who'd experienced family violence as children as well and um and what it really brought up for me was the sheer number of um of women uh, and men at Envato, um, and you know we we have um, about 280 staff, and um, and the sheer number of people who'd had direct personal experience, who'd um, who'd been in um, crisis accommodation as children, who'd um, uh, you know um, had had direct experiences both as children and as adults, and um, and the sort of the verve and the tenacity that they got behind this project, um, it, it just made me realise how immediate. This problem actually is. Yeah. So, um, so I can, you know, we continue to do New Day Box every year. It's just a little thing, but um, that you know, it's not, it's not solving the big problems. But um, but I think for the women receiving that, we get, we get these um, you know, we get these amazing letters from the women um receiving the boxes, and they just say, you know, it's just really nice to know that there are people out there in the community who who yeah. care. Yeah. And who wanted me to have a nice, you know, a nice Christmas day. And we get enough these days that we deliver them out on Mother's Day as well, which is really, really lovely. Mm-hmm. Um uh so uh yeah, so it it's um it's it, it's just a it's an ongoing it's an ongoing um project that um that we that we do every year. I mean and you're right when you say sometimes uh, you know, when you look at the problem you think oh, it's just so big, there's no way we can solve it. But if everyone contributes a little bit, um, it can just brighten up somebody's day, like you said, you know, and really help make their lives a little bit easier for that one moment in time. I think, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's, there are incredible organisations who are doing great work around sort of education and prevention and, um, and keeping, keeping women and children safe. Um, and uh, and and they really they really deserve you know our support. This is a sort of a, you know a good a good sort of um, hands on thing to do around Christmas time and um, and a sort of a, it's also a gentle way to introduce the issues. There are a lot of women that I know and, and myself included who um, who get their their young children and, and particularly their boys involved in making boxes and, and have an early sort of gentle loving conversation about um, about sort of you know family violence prevention and about you know the importance of how we sort of treat one another and how we care for one another. So um, yeah. It's, and that's I'm, an important. I'm, I'm passionate about it. <laughs> yeah, I can tell, which is wonderful. Um, and that's an important part in the process is the conversation and the prevention and the education, isn't it? To sort of try and stop it for the future. It's just the awareness. I, look, I I think so. I'm not a I'm I'm not an expert in this space at all. I've learned a lot over the last few years and I think um but I think uh you know this is my sort of you know one of my contributions to it is just that uh, you know hopefully it keeps um 
uh, it sort of raises awareness a little bit. It, it gets people introduced to the to the subject in a sort of a you know feel good light way. Which I mean, it can be a pretty heavy subject. So you know, any way that we can get people to start thinking about it and acting in the space, I think is um is 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 a good starting point. Yeah. Now you mentioned your two beautiful boys before, mm-hmm. yeah. and I wanted to um, talk to you about how do you manage family life while running a highly successful and I'm sure very demanding business. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's a uh, obviously you know we're all juggling, <laughs> we're all juggling the various the various um, things in our lives. Um, I I think. Um, there's a few things that have helped me. One of them is to just have my have clarity around my my not negotiables. So um so my sort of um the things that I'm just not willing to do. So I'm not willing to um to travel much. Travel occasionally. I really you know most of the time I I I, I if I possibly can I say no because um if I'm not around during the day I want to be at home in the evenings. I want to be you know there you know, between that 5 and 7 p.m. window when they're awake and um, and they're running around and I can spend some time with them. Um, and while I'm there with them, I want to make sure that I, I don't have the phone in my hand, that I'm putting, you know, I'm, I'm putting my phone away, putting it onto aeroplane mode if I, you know, if I possibly can. Yeah. Um, so really I think um, for me it's about defining and carving out that, that quality time and ensuring that I'm sort of, um, you know, that that I'm sort of doing those things I'm present and doing those things that I am that are really really important to me and um and the family and being really present while I'm there um I you know I you know I know that I was speaking to um Christina Carlson the founder of Kiki K and she said that doing the kinder drop-off in the morning is absolutely paramount to her yeah so she makes sure that she positions you know she sort of um, moves her day around so that she can be present for that. I think it's about making those choices. Um, I think it's also about um, having a really a present partner, a partner that sort of um, will, uh, you know, do their do do their share. You know, I'm very lucky that my husband, um, he was raised um, by by parents who modelled this sort of example of um, of you know both parents are raising the children, both parents are, you know, pitching in and doing the housework, housework, making the dinner. Um, he really, um, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it without Collis and, and his support. He, um, he's, he's there, he, he moves things around. You know, I, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always feel, you know, we don't have any family here mm. and we don't have any family in Melbourne. And, um, and I'm always, um, very grateful for um for you know how what an active role he um he takes obviously you know in a perfect world every you know every sort of parent would take an equal share in the care of their children but the reality of reality of it is that that's often not the not the case so um especially so when they're young I think as well yeah and I think it's look it's it's tricky because you know that first you know the first little while they're really attached to mum yeah. so I think you know if if you don't sort of make a conscious effort to get out of those that out of those habits the mother's going to become you know the primary caregiver by default yep yeah absolutely agree with that yeah we're lucky to have these um men in our lives that that just contribute that are there that 
participate and it's co-parenting. <laughs> it is. And yeah. it takes a certain sort of strength. You know, I, when I first spoke to, um, you know, we've got a couple of men who do part-time roles now so they can be at home with their kids. And oftentimes it's to also, you know, support the the careers of their partners and, um, and, and, you know, both the, the examples, both the two men that I'm thinking about in this case, both said, you know, I, I, I feel conscious of what other people think, that I'm not motivated enough, I'm not driven enough, um, uh, you know, and, and it's not the case. It's that I want to be there to support my family. But there's this assumption that we have, you know, this this unconscious sort of pressure that we, that men and women put on men, which is, you know, a desirable man is the provider and he's ambitious and he's, you know, and he's out there earning the money and being powerful. And then, you know, that, but that doesn't facilitate a man to, you know, have balance and support his partner in, in their career as well. That's such an archaic view and, but it is widely out there. Um, but I won't get started on that because yeah. <laughs> I'll never stop. <laughs> but I agree with you, um, absolutely. Now, finally, what does the future look like for you? Good question. You know, it's interesting. Um, I've been trying to carve out some time um, with, uh, you know, j- just sort of outside of work to try and sort of get a bit of space in work to really get some clarity about what the next couple of years looks like because I'm transitioning farther and farther out of operational roles at Novato, which is sort of the right the right sort of move yep. for me long term. Um, and then it becomes, okay, well, what can I do which not only adds the most value to the business but what also adds, you know, what's, you know, how am I going to deliver the most value out into the world, which sounds like a, you know, cheesy way to think about it. But but it's true, you know, if you're going to sort of, you know, um, think about it, how do I add big value? How do I sort of, you know. Make a difference? Make a bit of, yeah, make yeah. a positive difference. Yeah. Um, so actually I'm doing some thinking about that, <laughs> about that at the moment because I can see that there's going to come a time with Invato where, you know, I'm, I'm going to transition further and further out of the day-to-day and I'll still be across, you know, I'll still be sort of directing strategy and I'll still be sort of, you know, um, hands-on in certain spaces, but there's going to be, there's going to be time and there's going to be space. Um, so then it, then it becomes, all right, well, what, what exactly does that look like? I, I don't know. I'm, um, I'm, you know, particularly passionate about, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, different things, which we probably don't have time to get into. <laughs> um, but, um, but trying to decide on what you're going to focus on and, and trying to sort of set some, some big lofty goals. So, you know, what you're working towards, that takes a bit of, you know, that takes a bit of space and yeah. time. So I'm trying to find that right now. Mm. Well, we'll have to check in with you in, you know, the coming months and see what <laughs> progress you've made. Great. Yeah. Good. So thank you so much, Cyan, for your time today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to The Honest CEO Show with Caroline Kennedy. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on iTunes for your weekly dose on all things business. We've also made it easy for you by linking the subscribe to button on the virtual executive website. Caroline shares free business tools and resources there too. And if you're stuck and need some advice, book a free 30-minute session with Caroline or one of her team. Go to www.virtualexecutive.com.au and check it out.